Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. One ball, one strike. In the air, center field. Correa's watching. This is back, and it's gone! It's a walk-off home run! Carlos Correa! Astros win! Oh, Houston sports, it's never, ever dull. What a day. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome to our Astros Rays ALCS Game 5 postgame show. And a little bit of a tribute to Rockets XGM Daryl Morey. That's right, XGM, if you haven't heard the news, but I'm sure most of you had by now. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie, and longtime journalist Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, what can you say? You can't kill these Astros off just yet. Robert, what is it about Houston teams that can never do anything easy? That's what I want to know. You get down three games to none, you think, well, they've just got to be done. There's only one team that's ever come back, and that's the 2004 Boston Red Sox that have come back from a 3-0 deficit to win a series. And the Astros, you know, it, it's certainly – they haven't done it yet, but by golly, they're three games to two, and you've got your best pitcher more than likely going in game six. So, you know, it, it, it really – you have to think, Robert, that no matter what happens from here on out, the Astros are certainly doing the unexpected in a year that has been filled with the unexpected. I mean, look at this week, what what you just said about Daryl Moore. I mean, here it just – this year just gets crazier and crazier by the day, doesn't it? Well, if you didn't know it – this is the anniversary of the Kirk Gibson home run back in 1988. And That's right. You just have to quote uh, the guy, the man himself, Vin Scully, who put something up on Twitter about that anniversary, a little story. And what Vin said right after that, he said, in the year of the improbable, the impossible has happened. Well, and you know what? I, I was listening to that game in 1988 when Kirk Gibson hit that home run. And naturally, I'm going to to really suck at this impression, but you know who I'm about to refer to? I can't believe what I just saw. That that to me, I mean, that is up there with do you believe in miracles and, and just some of the greatest sports calls in history was the radio call by Jack Buck in 1988. Now, you know, we didn't have a historic call, I guess, with <laughs> Carlos Correa's home run, but... Boy, oh boy, I don't really care about history at this point, Robert, do you? I mean, it, it, it's all about the result anyway, right? As I watched the the final inning, I was kind of in and out of the kitchen because I, I just didn't want to watch it. You know, pretty nervous that, you know, okay, if we can't get through this inning without some sort of miracle, then Bregman and Correa and Tucker, all those guys have virtually done nothing in the series. So you didn't feel good about it. Yuli was up after those guys who wasn't exactly – you know, an offensive juggernaut in this series either. I mean, he has, he's been terrible. And so I, I go into the kitchen and I hear the crack of the bat when Correa's up at the plate. And I'm like, oh, maybe something happened. And I hear the, the guys on the call raise their voice as he, as he hits the ball. And I, you know, I run out there to look. Lo and behold, the ball's flying and it keeps flying and it, and it finally flies over the fence. You, you thought, oh God, if, if we don't do anything now, it's, it's Cy Sneed and Chase DeYoung? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> or worse, you know, you dip into having to use Fromber today instead of the next day, something like that. Yeah, I was praying it wouldn't go to extra innings. And I'll tell you, Robert, the, the thing is, up until that hit by Correa, 
the Astros, four through seven hitters, didn't have a single hit in this game. Now, you know, you, you reference Gurriel, I mean, his struggles have just been epic for the last several weeks. Bregman hasn't exactly been on par, but boy, it's all about timing. And we've talked a lot about timing in this series where the Astros just weren't getting the timely hits. They were hitting line shots at everybody on Tampa's defense. It happened again a couple times today, but Correa came through, and that's all that matters now. The magic of Gary Pettis also helped. I mean, just a great moment early in the game. Springer hits that home run. He gives the point up to Gary Pettis, and, you know, even late in the game when Correa hits the walk-off, I mean, he he made reference to it as well in his post-game conversation. So, uh, Gary Pettis, you know, just maybe bringing some some of his magic and inspiration to these guys. Hey, I'll tell you what, it was so great to see him in the stands. And, you know, the Astros had been hanging his jersey up in their dugout throughout this series. Robert, I don't I don't know if we've mentioned that on the podcast, but Gary's presence has definitely been there, uh, if not physically up until today, you know, with his jersey and, and just his spirit there with in the uh, Astros dugout. So, yeah, it was it was wonderful to see him in the stands and. Tell you what, you know, he just got out of the hospital from his treatments. And uh, if if he can at all come back the next day, even if you have to prop him up with pillows, bring him back, right? <laughs> it's providing that magic, whatever it takes to get you through game six. That's what the Astros need. Yeah, Stephen, if you go to the beginning of the game, we got to start off with George Springer's leadoff home run. And with his home run, uh, Springer now has 19 postseason home runs. And I'm sure everybody knows by now that he's moved to fourth all time in major league baseball history with that home run. But one thing I did is I sort of became our Houston sports talk podcast, crack research staff. And and I got to see a little bit how impressive a feat that was by doing a little research and comparing it to who's at the top of the list. And is this about quantity of plate appearances or quality? Because you guys, you got guys like Springer and Altuve who get to play more playoff rounds and this is what I found. You have Manny Ramirez is at number one and has seven more home runs than second place. So I'm going to put him aside for just a second. Bernie Williams is two with 22 home runs, 545 plate appearances. Jeter, 20 home runs, 734 plate appearances. So 545, 734. Springer is now tied for fourth with Pujols. George has 19 home runs and 283 plate appearances while Pujols did it in 334 plate appearances. So 50 less plate appearances for Springer, basically. And then you go down the list a little bit, and the next guy up is a three-way tie between Altuve, Mickey Mantle, and Reggie Jackson. Reggie needed 318 plate appearances. Mickey needed 273 plate appearances. And Altuve has had 277. So he's right there with Mickey. What Springer and Altuve have done... Is just ridiculous, Stephen, because they're doing it at a pace with the best ever. Yeah, they certainly are. And, and by the way, we, we need to get you uh, – try to see if we can figure out getting you a raise for all that research, Robert. That's very impressive. Uh, you know, it, it's not only the plate appearances for me that's impressive when, when you look at that, but it's just the, the moments that you're put in. I mean, this is the postseason. This is the big stage. It's as good as it gets. And magnifying the moment and being able to hit all those home runs and – a lot of different situations. I mean, every one of them is important, but you know, some of them obviously being in crucial situations, it, it's not only the plate appearances and yeah, that's, that's very impressive. No doubt about it, but it's also the intensity of the moment that these guys are being put in time after time, after time through the postseason. That's almost as impressive to me. 
Yeah, you also, you know, we talked about Altuve and what was great was they were talking about Altuve on the broadcast and how Dusty was comparing both Altuve and his friend, the late Joe Morgan, who we just lost, to Mighty Mouse. And on the Padres scoreboard, it said 1942, Mighty Mouse debuts, 1943, Joe Morgan born, 1990, Morgan inducted into the Hall of Fame, Altuve born. How cool is that? That's great stuff by the, the Padres people. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, Dustin could come up with some great lines, I, I will say. And he referenced the Mighty Mouse thing. And I thought it was, I actually thought it was kind of funny. The TV crew, they were asking uh, the sideline reporter, I think her name was Lauren, you know, if she even knew who Minnie Mouse was. And of course she did not. <laughs> so, yeah, whatever references you have to make, it's, it's uh, definitely inspiring. Yeah, when Springer and Altuve, you know, when their playoff home run numbers are discussed, there's going to be trash can noise and cheating noise. And to that, I just want to point out a couple of things. You know, it's not b- being a homer or anything like that. This is about logic and facts. Number one, there's no way you can hear trash cans during playoff games. If you've actually been to a playoff game, you know that. That's right. Number two, Manny Ramirez is at the top of the list. It's the same Manny Ramirez who was suspended for steroids. So let's keep that in mind if we're asterisking this list. And number three, there's... Even a, an equipment manager who wrote in his biography 30 years ago that he corked bats for Mickey Mantle. So I don't know if there's a, you know a, a lot of smoke and fire to that, but just keep that in mind. I mean, like I said, cheating, I've said this over and over again, it's, it's always in baseball. And I just finish off by saying, as, as we're watching Springer and Altuve this year, isn't it possible that they hit all those home runs because they're just damn good at clutch hitting? I mean, can we just give them that after what they've done this postseason? Yeah, imagine that. You know, that major league ball players could actually hit home runs in crucial situations. I've, I've never heard of such a thing. No, but, you know, Robert, anybody who thinks that the, the Astros are the only team who has ever cheated in baseball or crossed the line or, you know, what, what one up to whatever you want to put to it, it, it's they're naive. Yeah, you know, Manny Ramirez, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw his name at the top of the list. I believe he has 29 of those home runs in the postseason. That's the first thing that crossed my mind. Well, you know, he, he got in trouble for PED, so how are you going to count that? Or, or how are you not going to count it? I mean, there's always going to be questions or asterisks put to these things. So, you know, numbers are what they are, and you can analyze them and overanalyze them any way you want, but they are there, and the rest is up to everybody else to to figure out or to take pot shots at or do whatever you want with. Anything else from this game that, sticks out for you i mean josh james you know he made makes coffee nervous and and he made me nervous uh and of course he gives up the home run so i, I was expecting that uh scrub was okay i mean you're just some decent pitching performances just guys being able to patch things together and dusty did a nice job putting the bullpen together on a bullpen day he really did and and honestly robert i thought that it would be a higher score than what we had it was it was four to three you know with the, the considering the fact that both teams were, were practically having to empty their bullpens. I mean, you knew the Astros were, were probably going to have to. It, it was fortunate that uh, Luis Garcia got through the two innings he did without giving up a run. But but I was looking for more of, I don't know, a, you know, a six to five or eight to seven type of score just based on that fact. And I shudder to think what would have happened if we'd gone into extra innings that we might have seen even some more runs. So that was, that was really the thing that stood out to me most about the fact that because of all the pitchers used and because so many of them, especially on the Astros, are young guys, that 
they didn't give up more runs than they did. I mean, I just they they continued to do what they've done all year, Robert, and that's battle. Okay, they made some mistakes, and you know, Josh James is not a rookie. I'm not necessarily lumping him in there, but with some of the other young guys, the more pitchers you keep putting out there, the higher the chances that you know somebody's either going to make a mistake enough to cost them a game, or a game's going to get blown wide open. These guys just continue to hold their own. I mean, they, I just don't think they can do much more than what they've been asked to do. Yeah, Garcia looked real rough out there, but he got through it. He didn't give up a run somehow. And Blake Taylor uh, came in, gives up the one run. Uh, then you got Paredes, who has the home run, gives up the home run. Scrub, I thought, of all the guys, uh, Brooks really wasn't bad because, I mean, with Brooks, I mean, I was worried he came in with the guy on base, but, you know, to me, Scrub was the biggest deal. I mean, what Scrub did right in the middle of the ball game, you know, I, I think that was, of all the guys, he was the most impressive to me anyway. Yeah, he definitely was. And, you know, with Garcia, you have to also consider that he, he's got fewer innings and fewer starts than anybody. So it would have been a bonus, I think, if he could have gone four innings. You know, the, the fact that he went two, as I said, w- without giving up a run, I mean, he... His his breaking stuff especially was was really up and down, very inconsistent. Um, but he was able to get away with it. Now I think if, if let's be honest, Robert, the, the Rays are not the greatest hitting team that you're ever going to face. Yeah, they've had some timely hits, but and, and yeah, there there are some hitters that scare you. And my goodness, a Rosarena, you know, he's he's just been all over the place in this series and in the postseason. And there are some guys who can hit, you know, when they need to. But it's not like you're facing top elite hitters all through the lineup, you know, like some of the the Yankees hitters and even the Astros hitters when they're really on. So I, I just think that, you know, with, with Garcia especially, he was very fortunate. Otherwise, this game might have had a totally different outcome. One uh, little note, uh, Alex Bregman, huge defensive play in the middle of the game. We can't forget about that. couple runners on, makes the bare hand play, uh, gets a – Fast runner going to first base. The other thing that I want to mention, Stephen, is just as we look down the road a little bit, new strategy. Uh, don't hit the ball to Brooks Robinson over at third base anymore. How about that? <laughs> yeah, how many of those barehanded plays has he made? My goodness. It, I think it was a couple in the A series at least, maybe three, and now this one. So, yeah, Brooks Bregman, you think that 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 works for a pretty good nickname for him? No, no, no. You miss you totally misinterpreted me. I said don't hit the ball to Brooks Robinson over at the, their guy Wendell has been killing. Oh, that us. guy Wendell. Oh, okay. I well, I was thinking Brooks Bregman with all those, you know, barehanded plays. But yeah, Wendell, he he made a great play on a line drive too. So, I don't know. I Brooks Wendell just, uh, you know, I it just doesn't sound as good as Brooks Bregman, I don't think. But we'll go with it. Yeah, I'm not going to tell them what to do because they're. <laughs> they, they, it, I want to win, but I'm just saying, like, hey, this guy Wendell, you hit it to him anywhere close, anywhere around him, anywhere in the vicinity, it, it's going to be scooped up and thrown to first base or or caught on the fly. Or what you cannot get it past that guy. Yeah, he is. He's a very underrated fielder for sure, but uh, I think he's he's definitely raised some eyebrows in this series with some of the plays he's made. Yes, absolutely. So you got Fromber and Lance McCullers going in the next couple of games. I mean, at this point, you, you got a shot. I mean, you, frankly, you've outplayed them in this series. I mean, if you, if we're being honest, if you take away Altuve errors, and by the way, Altuve, come on, man, quit getting thrown out on the base pass. You're killing us. This has been an all-year-long deal for him, and he's still doing it. Well, not only all-year-long, Robert, I mean, I've seen him in past years make some some real base-running blunders. Of course, he gets picked off 
base in the first inning, you know, uh, trying to, or yeah, trying to stretch a single into a double and uh, in the other inning is the ones you're referring to. But I, it's, it's interesting to me. And I thought about this, you know, when Kyle Tucker went to second on that throwing air, isn't it an interesting contrast of smart base runners of Kyle Tucker, who's a young guy versus a veteran like Jose Altuve, who just in my mind, Robert, you know, he can steal bases from time to time, but he's never been the smartest base runner on the base pass, not just this year, but in years past. I guess I just didn't notice it quite as bad this year. Can we maybe, you know, give him a Jeff Bagwell clinic or something? We have him in the organization, right? Yeah, he he still comes around from time to time, I think, in, in spring training or, you know, somebody. Uh, you know, Altuve, I mean, he at least he he didn't make throwing error. He almost did. I mean, uh, Gurriel had to scoop one out of the dirt again. And it's sad. It's sad, Robert, when you think about it, just how you have to hold your breath every time a ball is hit to Altuve and he's going to make a play. And that and that saddened me about as much as anything. And it, just the fact that what he's done for this organization and, you know, the good news is he's at least still doing it at the plate. It's not affecting his hitting, but just so many runs that he has t- taken away from the Astros or given to the Rays because of his errors. And thankfully the base running blunders didn't cost them anything today. So here's the deal. In the last month and two days, the Texans fired their coach and GM and the Rockets have now not only moved on from their coach, but their GM has decided to move on on his own terms. And as this is all unfolding, we don't know the reasons behind this, Stephen, but I can't imagine there's another city that's changed out their head coach and GM and all three major sports in the same calendar year with all of them coming off a playoff run and a playoff run where they actually got to at least the second round in all those sports. I sure can't think of one, Robert. And and I just don't, I, the timing of this is interesting though, to me is why, you know, why you, you've already started your coaching search. You're kind of in the middle of it, maybe toward the end, depending on where it is. Why wouldn't that happen right before the coaching search actually begins. And like you said, this has just come out as we're recording this. So we don't have a lot of Intel and you know, more is going to come out in the next few days, but just, you know, if, if we're doing a reactionary podcast about this, that's my immediate reaction is why now? And not shortly after Dan Tony leaves. Yeah. My first thought is you hear a lot of noise that this was a Tillman Fertitta decision, but Stephen, honestly, I don't see Tillman standing by him publicly over and over through the China situation and then D'Antoni's departure. And then all of a sudden he's finally going to cut bait right now, all this time later. And the only way it makes sense, maybe if there was a strong disagreement over the coaching hire, I, I, that's the only thing I have to think of. Well, that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, maybe they were not agreeing uh, on who some of the candidates were. And boy, if that's the case, that's really troubling. I, I mean, you know, the fact that, now, now, Tillman hasn't owned the team very long, and Darrell's been there for quite a while, but there could be other things that may, maybe they've disagreed about over the last couple of years that we just don't know about yet, and maybe this that this was a culmination. Who knows? It, it It's bound to come out at some point. We'll just have to wait and see. Okay, my next thing is, and I almost feel like this is a, a, almost I need a whole podcast for this, but I, I want to show some love to Daryl Morey. And, Stephen, I, I've got seven reasons, seven in total why – I loved having him as a GM. And if you want to add on when I'm done, feel free. Are you ready for this? Go ahead. Let's do it. All right. Number one, he did not have a losing season in 13 years as a GM. He had the second highest winning percentage in the league during his tenure, only behind the Spurs. Number two, 
He had to rebuild this thing on the fly with two max contracts, Yao and T-Mac literally becoming boat anchors overnight with career-ending injuries, as we all remember that. Number three, the guy rarely lost a trade, but the only trade that mattered was Kevin Martin, Jeremy Lamb, and a late lottery pick for James Harden. And whatever you think of Harden, he's been one of the five to ten best players every year he's been with the Rockets in the MVP conversation nearly every season. Number four, Daryl brought star players to Houston. Lots of stars. When all evidence shows you need those type of guys to win championships. And not only did he bring Harden, you know, of course, Harden, but he brought, you know, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, and Russell Westbrook. Number five, when every team in the NBA withered at the Golden State Warriors dynasty, Daryl said, screw all that. We're going to go after him. He did his best to try to beat maybe the best team in NBA history. Almost did it. Bottom line, Daryl wasn't afraid of a calculated risk. I mean, he would take any risk possible. He was fearless. If you're a fan, you love that. Number six, Daryl, the innovator. He changed basketball. His emphasis on the three-point shot changed the game. Basketball is different now, whether you like it or not. And maybe no modern basketball coach or GM changed it more than Daryl Morey did. Last one, number seven. Daryl was fun. Sports is supposed to be fun. He got that. He had a sense of humor. He was self-deprecating. He was fan-friendly. And all that matters when you compare him to Rick Smith, Brian Gain, Jeff Luno, Ed Wade, Bill O'Brien, and all the recent Houston GMs. Steven, Daryl is my favorite GM in Houston history when I also bring in his personal traits to the equation. And the only others in the conversation, for me anyway, are Jerry Hunsicker and Mike Holoback. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Robert. Mike Holoback was one of my favorites, and I actually got the chance to interview Mike, you know, of course, former general manager of the Oilers, and Jerry Hunsicker. I mean, think of all the ways that Jerry Hunsicker helped the Astros and brought them, you know, to the World Series when they went. I mean, it, you know, for, for all of those reasons, it, it just it makes me sad that Daryl, as hard as he tried to do it, just never got over the hump and won a championship ring. I, I think if there's any general manager who deserves to win a ring and who hasn't, Daryl Morey would be at the top of my list. Absolutely. For all of those reasons and, and more, you know, you can say what you will about the success of the, the players he tried to bring in. But as you said, the guy did try. Yeah, he wasn't afraid to go after the Warriors, the Spurs, whomever. You know, whoever the dynasty team was, Daryl never backed down. And while it may have fallen short, it may not have worked completely the way we hoped it would, he at least went out and got some things done and, and tried to make the Rockets what they are now. It just didn't it, it just didn't result in a championship ring. And I know we talk about results all the time, but sometimes you just don't get those results. But it wasn't from lack of trying on Daryl's part. And I think Daryl, outside of uh, Charles Barkley, and who cares what Charles Barkley says about basketball because he's not really a basketball guy. Charles but... Barkley's an entertainer. You know, he's an entertainer kind of guy. Yeah, but I mean, like, like I said, I just want to dismiss all that. The national guys respected and loved Daryl. There's not a lot of Houston love, but they, they did love Daryl. And I'm going to add two more reasons why I love Daryl. He has convictions and ethics as a human being. He never backed off what he said about China when he could have blamed it on a Twitter hacker or any number of things. And the other thing about Daryl is, did your GM write a musical? Because ours did. <laughs> Do you remember what it was called, Stephen? 
I'm mean, trying to think of it. I, I know, yeah, he, he wrote a musical and he, he likes to write a lot of different things. The answer, he wrote a musical called Small Ball. What else would Daryl Morey, what else would he call a musical? Yeah, that is kind of interesting. It's kind of a, usually it's a baseball reference. So, but, but yeah, even he can even bring sports into the musical realm. I mean, the guy is talented. There, there is no doubt about it. And he's a gamer, I believe. He, he loves video games. And I just, yeah, the, the fun aspect of Daryl, you know, if you take out the results and uh, all of the, the basketball type stuff, that's what I like most about Daryl. And you talk about his convictions, I, I, you know, most GMs would just not even, if, if they said stuff like that, they'd probably be fired. But I think because of the respect that Daryl had, at least we think, in the Rockets organization, you know, most organizations would have probably fired their GMs for what he said. But at least the guy, he he said what he felt, and it, it wasn't because he was trying to be crass. It's just what he believed, and he stood up for it. He didn't shy away from it, as you said. Yeah, I just I love that about him. I mean, is he perfect? Was he the perfect GM? No, but you're, there's there's no such thing. I mean, we we try to get these perfect people in sports or in life, and it just it just doesn't happen. And you know, the Rockets promoted executive VP Raphael Stone to GM, who's been in their front office. And Stephen, I'll just give a little bit of background if people don't know who he is. He's from Seattle. He was a four year varsity basketball player at Williams College. That's uh, Division Three. He's a Stanford Law grad, was hired as general counsel for the Rockets in 2005. So he's been around 15 years, uh, even though he's a name I know most Rockets fans don't know. And according to his bio, you know, he was general counsel. He's focused on legal matters, TV and radio agreements, community relations, sponsorship agreements, intellectual property matters, human resources, you know, risk management. I mean, it all sounds boring and you're like, uh, uh <laughs> compliance with league rules, that kind of stuff. But Stephen... As much as he sounds like he's just a good lawyer, maybe more president than GM, apparently he has been involved in some of the personnel decisions, including uh, Harden and the Chris Paul trade. I mean, he was behind the scenes on both of those. And, you know, he's somebody that I, I think Daryl, you know, had in the conversations with everything. So that, that that's good that he was around. And, you know, who knows? We have no idea about him and what to expect. But it's just it, it's an interesting guy that. Nobody's heard of, but nobody had heard of Daryl when the Rockets hired him. Well, that's very true. I was just going to say that. I mean, who knew who Daryl Morey was? And and sometimes, uh, even though he's been with the organization for a while, it, it could be a good thing, certainly from the business aspect. You need somebody that at least can step in and is familiar with the ropes. You're not bringing in somebody totally from outside who kind of has to feel their way around and, you know, figure it out. So at least from the business aspect, that's a good move. The biggest question, obviously how is he going to fare with with player personnel and now picking a head coach? I mean, that's that's going to be a big thing, too, right off the bat, is you're going to have to find the right coach for this team. So, you know, it's obviously early in the game. You're going to have to give the guy a shot. But those are the questions, obviously, that are going to be facing him moving forward. Well, you just led me right into it because ESPN's Tim McMahon says the primary candidates remaining on the Rockets search list are Jeff Van Gundy, Mavs assistant Steven Silas, and John Lucas is re recording this. All the buzz is on JVG. And frankly, the Rockets would get no buzz in the city if they hired the other two candidates. Although Silas might not be a bad option, but it's looking more and more like Van Gundy. I'd be surprised if it was anybody else. I'd be shocked. Well, you know, Jeff Van Gundy could have come back before. I know Daryl wanted to bring him back. That, of course, was when Les Alexander owned the team and he nixed that deal. So, you know, Jeff has certainly has been the Rockets coach before. I kind of... I don't know. I mean, obviously, JVG was a great coach here. 
And but it's been a while since he's been. I just kind of would like to see somebody like a Steven Silas. That would be of those three, Robert. That would be my pick. But you know, Steve Kerr, he, he coaches the Golden State Warriors, and that's not me. And 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 I'm certainly not the general manager of the Rockets, and neither is the other Steve Kerr. So you know, we'll just have to see what they end up doing. Yeah, I would have liked to seen somebody as a third candidate if those are indeed the three candidates that. You know, you're just a little bit more excited about than John Lucas. Uh, you know, Ty Lu got hired by the Clippers, so he was out of the mix. He was a guy that I, I guess, you know, I guess he would have been in their top three, I would assume. Um, n- nothing more about Sam Cassell, but maybe if Sam Cassell's not on the Clippers staff anymore, maybe the Rockets can bring him over and put him on their staff. I, I would love to get him at least back involved in the organization and and bring a little, as we've said, a little bit of, clutch factor to James Harden's playoff game, which would be great. But, uh, I, you know, with JBG, the one thing I will say is he's just become such a beloved figure in Houston for a guy that was not somebody that was beloved a, as a head coach. Yeah, I was in the room a lot because um, I was, you know, working uh, my other jobs as a, as a um, videographer for Fox Sports Southwest when Van Gundy was around. And at the time, I just remember you'd go into the room for a Jeff Van Gundy press conference, and you just felt you wanted to take some antidepressants after that. <laughs> yeah, we'll just have to see. I know John Lucas, you know, he's coached a couple of different times in the NBA, but it hasn't been recently. And, you know, Sam Cassell was a name that you threw out right about the time that Dan Tony left. And I was kind of a, you know, I, I know you just kind of threw it out there, but he got some at least some uh, discussion, I think, around the country. Some people mentioned his name, but it didn't sound like he was one of the top candidates. I would have liked to have seen him at least get more consideration. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with him because you would think as long as he's been around and as many good staffs as he's been on and as much of a leader as he was as a player, that he would be a little bit more considered by some teams. I don't know if he's been much of a finalist and he's been he's been around long enough to where you would think, ah, I wonder what's going on. Maybe he just doesn't interview well. I don't know. I, I don't know if there's just a lack of buzz around him. Well, I think you, that you said what I was about to say is just a lack of buzz. You just don't hear his name floated about. And there's usually a reason for that. And, it, you know, sometimes it's about the little things uh, as much as the big picture. So it could be something like that. Any other thoughts on either Daryl or the Astros next couple of games? Craziest week that Houston has had in a while, certainly when you add all these things up. Regarding the Astros, I, I mean, I, I keep waiting for them to lose. You know, I, I keep picking against them. So I'm just going to keep picking against them until it's, you know, nothing to pick anymore. <laughs> so, you know, but but you can't get, if you're an Astros fan, you can't help but get excited now. I mean, it's three games to two. Look, it, it's only happened once, but it can happen now. They're certainly in a position. And you know that now the pressure is more on the Rays than it is on the Astros because, now, they, they may only have to win one game, but the Astros have the momentum and they have Frommer going in game six. So, hey, anything is possible. But let me tell you this, Robert. If the Astros do win game six, could there be a more classic matchup than you can think of recently than Lance McCullers against Charlie Morton in game seven? I, I might be a little more worried, though, about Astros fans because all, they, they all know what Charlie Morton can do in game sevens. Yeah, I'd like uh, Verlander and uh, Charlie Morton in Game 7. Personally. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that 
came to my mind and I, I try not to think too much of, oh, the Astros are going to come back and win this thing. I don't want to even get that excited about it because it's just so far-fetched. But if they did, I was just thinking, well, the one cool thing about doing that would be you would take away that little thing that the Red Sox have in, in baseball history and really tick off Red Sox fans, which I like. <laughs> tick off Red Sox fans? How about tick off all of baseball? The, the team that cheated actually snatches something away from the Red Sox because everybody loves to talk about how the Red Sox from 2004 came back from those seven games. They, you know, talk about an underdog, 80-something years without a World Series, and then they come back and not only win the World Series, but in the fashion that they do it, coming back from a 3-0 deficit. Don't you know that would just piss off everybody in baseball that now they can't say the Red Sox are the only team to do it. Those cheaters, the Astros, had to do it too. <laughs> I would love it, but no, I'm, I'm not going to pick the Astros, Robert. I refuse because if I do, then I'll be the one who jinxes them. I'm not going to do it. I do not think we're going to have a post game after the next game, but if the Astros could get it to game seven, I think we're going to do a post game after that one for sure. Uh, I've got some work on Friday night, so it's going to be difficult for me. And we'll, we'll, we'll wait to a game seven if that's the case. Um, if, right. if, if there's a wrap up, we're going to do that during a, a, a Texans post game show on Sunday. I also want to tell everybody out there that I voted today. It took four to five minutes. It was nothing. Get out to the ballot box if you haven't already. And just want to remind everybody, let us know how you think or what you're thinking or what you're Opinions are, you can always message us through Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.